Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I um, have a word for every single one of us. Repent. (laughs) Starting with me. Now, what I mean by that is this. The word repent in Scripture is metanoia. It means to have your mind changed, not just change your mind. Some people are like, that's my wife every day. No, not that. It is to allow God to change your mind and repent, return to the penthouse, return to where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places and see things from his perspective. Now, why can I say with confidence every single one of us should repent? Any guesses? We're all sinners. We're, particularly this person. No, um, <laughs> He's talking about you. No, it, because, A, none of us is perfect, true? But also because we get it wrong. Anybody yet? All right, who called COVID in 2020? Come on. I'm putting my money with you, right? No, no. The thing is, is uh, there, this 2020 created the most number of prophetic words that have ever been released on the planet. Anybody notice that? Like, like my cat started prophesying. It was amazing. You know, all she brought forth was a hairball, but it looked good for a minute. No, I thought it was just getting an interpretation. No, literally every prophetic word, and here's the good news. 99.8.97% of those didn't come to pass. Exactly. Now, here's what I want to say. This is why I want to say repent. Because expectation is a killer. Let me tell, say how you are awesome. Like, thank you. Expectation is a killer. Expectation will do one of two things in your life. Because first of all, expectations never, ever, 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 ever pan out perfectly. True? Nobody? Seriously? I mean, literally every time we have an expectation, expectation is a crystal clear picture of what we expect to happen. Does it ever happen exactly like we expect? And if we don't learn how to process and repent of our expectations, when it doesn't happen the way we expect it, one of three things is going to happen. It will kill you. It will numb you. Or it will make you crazy. Some of, again, don't nudge anybody, please. (laughs) He's talking about you. What do I mean? I'm going to give you an example. Masha and I, struggled financially for years when we came off the mission field. We struggled for years. And we tried everything to make money. Where are my people? You know what I'm talking about. Didn't walk the streets, but it was close, right? (laughs) I was thinking, like, now you were exploring your, like, gray areas, you know? No. (laughs) How do you feel about the chinchilla trade, right? No, I mean... And we tried everything, and we were so longing, we, we were so longing to figure out how we're going to make it 
that we would pray, we'd do everything we can, we'd tell everybody what we felt like God had said, then we'd go do it and nothing would happen. Where are my people? Awesome, great. Or something would start to happen and I'd make the biggest Facebook post possible. And Jesus has come through, he's delivered us. You know, I did, uh, I did um, uh, education technology sales. <laughs> and um, anybody here do sales? You know, they tell you you're going to make tons of money. They neglect to tell you there's a six to nine month on-ramp when you'll be fasting. And, um, and so every time it looked like a sale was going to happen, I just started praising God. I told everybody the testimony. And then, now here's what happens when that happens over and over again. One is you start to go numb. What's the point? What's the point of looking forward to anything? What's the point? of trying to figure things out. What's the point? You, we become numb. We, um, but also, the people around us start to get numb. We lost friends in that season because they were doing okay financially and they couldn't listen to it anymore. Just being real. Uh, and that numb, it will kill you because you just, you know, what is the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, right? You know, it's kind of the wily e. coyote off the cliff thing, right? You keep going, nothing's happening, it kills you. You, you quit doing and it makes you numb. Or you go crazy. It happened! No, it didn't happen. Yes, it did! Anybody know what I'm talking about? You develop an alternative reality where what you said was going to happen did happen. No nudging. I see those. No, you start to go, well, I was like mostly right, but I didn't realize he wanted to feed me with spiritual bread. I thought we were talking about money. Yeah, I was. But he was talking about, you, you start to twist the facts to fit your scenario. Anybody? Okay, now we're all triggered. I'm like, everybody's like, all right. So what do we do? And um, what do we do when we start to see this gap between our expectation and reality? The first thing we have to do is recognize it's there. La, 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 la. Doesn't help. It's terrifying, though, to recognize the gap, isn't it? When you don't have an answer. Oh, my gosh. The gap between what I said, what I expected, and what happened. If I don't recognize the gap, though, I can't get healed. I can't get set free, and I can't get the mind of Christ. So how do we get there? I have great news. Do you have Bibles? Good. You have all the answers. You can go home. <laughs> no. Uh, that was wrong. Um, bad, Peter. Um, what I want to do is we're going to go, because the Lord really took me to a passage, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to go through that chapter today, and I believe you're going to be encouraged. Because the story of a man, Elijah, one of the greatest prophetic voices, so great that when Jesus was coming in the flesh as a baby, it said, before him will come a second Elijah. He's the only, uh, uh, the only prophet who got a sequel right? He is, I mean, that's pretty good, you know? Uh, John the Baptist, he didn't get to be called John. He's like, he's the Elijah, right? I mean, he was, Elijah is an amazing guy, 
But Elijah allowed his expectations to de- derail him. All right? So, I, so this is this first chapter, verse 1, right? Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Anybody confused yet? Who's Ahab? Whoa, you get a gold star and you get a gold star. If I don't know who Ahab is, how am I going to figure it out? Go back, read backwards, that's it. Don't act like you know what's going on if you don't. Listen, you can always check out of a message here to read the Bible, okay? Always a good idea, just saying. Who's Jezebel? His wife, the queen, again. How do you know that? Because you're red already, oh, you good people. And everything Elijah had done, I already told you who Elijah is, so you don't get any points. And had done, and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Let me set the scene for you. If we can go to the map, the next map. Here's what happened. In about nine, about a thousand BC, David, King David, united the kingdom, made it amazing. Israel was an incredible nation. It was literally the richest place on earth for about 20 to 30 years. And then after him came um, uh, Solomon. And Solomon took all the good stuff that David did and blew it. And by the end of his life, this country divided into Israel in the north, the rich people, and Judah in the south, the poor but spiritually deep people. And, uh, and anyway, and so what happened is from 937 when Solomon died, we're going to catch up to 857. Now, remember, B.C. goes backwards. So... Anybody know how many years that is? 80 years. 80 years. 80 years. So it, what? 80 years ago for us was what? 1940. So this is like World War II. Solomon has been dead since World War II, right? He's been dead for, and during that time, immediately after his death, when the country ripped in half, the way they united the North was they said, you're not allowed to go to Jerusalem and worship anymore. Don't worry. I've created a couple idols for you. Anybody see a problem? The best part is they didn't even get unique in it. What kind of idol did they make? The idol of a golden calf. Anybody remember how that ended the last time? Like, (laughs) listen, listen. If you're feeling dumb, don't worry. Somebody's done it before you. (laughs) Just ask. That's what I always tell young people. I'm like, if you want to know how something adds badly, ends badly, ask me. I have the scars to prove it. So what happens is, as a result, as you can imagine, Israel goes from bad to worse to worse to bad. By the time we get Ahab, now Ahab's dad, Omri, got him married to a really delightful lady by the name of Jezebel, you've been reading. Awesome. Jezebel. Now, where does Jezebel come from? She comes from the northwest there, right at the top of the map on the ocean there, a place called Tyre. And um, they didn't sell tires. Um, <laughs> But she was finally attired. Okay, moving on. Um, anyway, her dad, Ithobel, this is important for all of you history people, he founded a new dynasty. The dynasty before had been dedicated to the god Astarte. His dynasty was dedicated to the god Baal, Ithobel. Out of him came Hannibal, Hannibal, one of the greatest and most freaky generals of all time. Uh, dedicated to Baal, and his daughter Jezebel, literally her name is the chant that they would make when they were calling to Baal. Her name means, where is Baal? Like, oh, Baal, where are you? Calling Baal forth, right? 
So, Baal is the god of lightning and fertility. How is he worshipped? I have to check. Um, go bad, go worse, keep going worse. Right? So, child sacrifice, ritual prostitution, uh, abuse of the poor, abuse of this, everybody. Not good, right? And his daughter goes and marries Ahab, and she brings with her the worship of Baal. Why? Because Tyre is rich, and Ahab wants to be rich like Tyre, so let's worship like they do. For four years, what does she do? She sets up temples for worship of Baal and, uh, and Asherah, his female consort. And in the process, they begin to kill the believers in God. They kill all the prophets. She, um, and in the middle of this, God speaks to Elijah, a guy by the name of T- from Tishbe, which, as you can imagine, is nowhere. He's from a little podunk village. And God said, you're going to go. I sometimes wonder if Elijah was like the 14th person he went to. You know, like, hey, you go to Ahab. No, I'm good. You go. Elijah was just, when we see him in scripture, he's obviously a guy who didn't major on social skills. He majored on the truth and nothing but the truth. And God's like, you're my man. So he goes to Ahab and he goes, Ahab, there's going to be no rain in Israel till I say so. Me. Me. Anybody here, you got a word from the Lord and made it about you? Just saying. Moving right along. Anyway, (laughs) he threw down some gang signs and poof, he was out of there. Ahab tried to find him. He hung out by a brook. God kept him fed. The brook ran out. Then God got him fed with, uh, there was a widow lady. I love, I love, again, great social skills. He walks up. He goes, give me something to eat. She goes, we, my son and I, are going to die right now. We are preparing our last meal to die. And he goes, I don't care. Make me something to eat. <laughs> this woman has got to go to the head of the line somewhere. I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, man, that's the eyes of faith right there. Like, I'm so offended. I want to kill you and then die. Like, that's the way I'm feeling. But instead, she makes the meal, and he says, as a result, your oil and everything will not run out. And it doesn't. It's great. Three years later, God goes, all right, it, the place is in, in drought. Now, let me ask you a question. In drought, who suffers? Who, su- who suffers first? This is something you, you and I need to grasp. Who does God love? He loves everyone. But it tells us over and over again that his heart is for the poor. I'm going to back this up in a second, but let me put this in your pipe and you can smoke it. God defaults to judgment as a last-ditch effort when we do not rise up in mercy. Judgment is the last-ditch effort to save a people when we fail to take our role in mercy. The whole nation's been suffering, but the king's been eating pretty good, hasn't he? In fact, he, at three, after three years, he's still trying to figure out how to keep his horses alive. His people are dying, but his horses are doing okay. And what happens is he goes out and he meets this guy by the name of Obadiah, different than the prophet, who happens to be the palace administrator. And Elijah says, go tell your master Ahab, I'm going to go talk to him. 
And he goes, why do you hate me? He said, because I know you. I'm going to go to Ahab, and then you're just going to disappear again for three years. God's going to whip you away from here and protect you. He said, don't you know, I protected 100 prophets. He kept alive 100 prophets because they were killing them all. And he said, no, no, I'm going to come with you. And he says, and so he goes to Ahab, and they have the big confrontation. Again, one of the things I want to see in the movies. It's amazing. You know, they go up to the Mount Carmel, that little dot on the left up top, Mount Carmel, where they were worshiping. They had worshiped God, but they'd been worshiping Baal because it was a place struck by lightning. He's a god of lightning. And he said, here's the deal. We'll have a showdown. You guys, Jezebel sends 400 Baal, priests of Baal. You guys call on Baal. I'm going to call on Elijah. Let's see who's king. And so what do they do? He says, I'll let you guys even go first. They build a fire. They try to, they try to, they build an altar, wait for fire to come down. They call to him. What do they keep calling over and over again? Jezebel, Jezebel, where are you, Baal? Where are you? Which is why it's so funny when he says, hey, maybe you should call louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. And it literally says, maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, Elijah obviously is like, I, it was probably more like, well, and it said he wore hair. I think that was the hair, like the camel clothes was more like overalls with only one side buckled because it was, it was country fun. Maybe he's out on the latrine. I don't know. He's out in the outhouse. So there he is. They have this, they have this showdown and then they can't do anything. They're cutting themselves. Cutting themselves. Why? Because the enemy hates the image of God in you. And he will invite you and I to destroy God's image in us. And they, and, and nothing happens. He goes, fine, I'll take over. He says, this is too easy. They dunk it in water. They cover the, the offering in water, which remember, they're running out of water. Many times, God will ask for a sacrifice to bring a breakthrough. And there it comes. And then God's fire comes and just consumes everything, the water, everything. It's amazing. But it's not enough. Then he prays for rain. He prays seven times. And finally, there's a, his servant says, there is a cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, this is a great example of how to handle expectancy. If you're expecting rain, what does rain look like? Rain, right? Clouds covering the sky, rain coming down. Little tiny cloud does not look like rain. But he gets expectancy. <gasps> ah! And he says, run, because it's about to pour. And, and that's exactly what happens. It pours. Everything's amazing. Woohoo! Right? Revival. Revival's hit. Israel is changed forever. No. No. And that's where we get this first verse. What does Jezebel say? When Jezebel heard what he'd done, what happens? Oh, that, I neglected that little part. Whose idea was it for him to kill all the prophets? He was copying Jezebel. Elijah was copying Jezebel. You kill my boys, I kill yours. Did God want water? to come to Israel, was that his end game? Was his end game Israel restored to him? Oftentimes, when we fail to partner with his ex expectancy, 
our narrow expectations limit us from partnering with him for the full picture. He wanted justice and he wanted, he, and guess what? He killed a bunch of prophets, but Jezebel was still going strong and Jezebel was still leading the entire nation in worship of Baal. Nothing changed. He got what he wanted and nothing changed. And so what happened to him? Verse two. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of those. Now that's some hate mail. That, that, that I don't know about you, unfriend, defriend, I don't know what, like, like you know, turn off, yeah, turn off the, uh, you know, your location devices, you know, whatever. I'm out of here, right? And what happens to him? What happens to him? Verse three. Elijah was, this is the guy for three years, he's hanging out, just chilling. He's totally, nobody can touch him. He's the guy who kills 400 guys with his bare hands. This is the guy. And he's terrified. Why? Because failed expectation will paralyze you. Failed expectation. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, so remember I said Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. They sort of worship God at that point. So he runs to the good people. This is my people, you my people, you understand me, and keeps on going. Beersheba's on the very edge of the wilderness. And there he left his servant. So here's my question. So first of all, he's tired. He's been doing this for how many years? Three years. He's tired. Anybody tired? All right. He's tired. Then it says he left his servant. So now what is he? Awesome. Oh, yeah. All by myself. That's right. And, uh, and then he went in a journey into the wilderness isolated. Not just alone. You know, there's alone and then there's isolated. Um, I, I, I've told you guys before, I dreamed of like living a monastic life at one point because I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And, uh, and, I, and I went away for, I was going to camp for a weekend by myself. And I got out to this incredibly remote place. I lasted 15 minutes and had to turn around and hike uh, several hours back out because I couldn't make it. Why? Because alone and isolated, you're left with who? <laughs> and I realized my problems weren't out there. <laughs> they were in my backpack the whole time. <laughs> and he came to a broom bush, because I guess he needed a broom. And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. How did he get there? How did he get there? I love this. You, you know God hears some funny, ver some funny prayers, right? God, the author of life. Take my life. I've had enough, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. <laughs> then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So he's tired. He's exhausted. He's, he's been running. He's alone. He's depressed. His expectations have failed him. Listen. First thing you need to understand is when you dumb, you dumb, and you need to know you dumb. No, no, really, this is the path to wisdom. Seriously, because when you dumb, you don't know you dumb, you are not going to be able to fix your dumbness. 
Anybody been dumb but not know you was dumb? That's called delusion. Because delusion says you're dumb, but you don't know it. Now, what's the only cure for delusion? Reality, Jesus. But I don't know about you. When I'm deluded, Jesus talks like me. That's right, Peter. That's a great idea. I think that's right. Oh, I'm so glad you read it, Jesus. We are on the same page. That is the definition of delusion. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need people in your life that when you be dumb, they don't be dumb. And they can speak truth into you. That's why he puts men and women together. Because woman dumbness and male dumbness are not the same. Say <laughs> la. When they be the same, we have problems. That's the real problems. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm having a bad day. You don't get to have a bad day. All right, I'm good. <laughs> this is my private psychosis, not yours. All right. So what is a broom tree? Can we pull up that picture of a broom bush? I just think it's interesting. This, yeah, you see that that was how they got a broom, but it was the only place of shade around. Let me just tell you this. When you are hot, running out of energy, tired, exhausted, alone, isolated, what does he do? He does the first smart thing he's done. He lays down. Lays down. He quits running. And he rests. All right. Now, granted, his heart wasn't in the right place. But what's the next one? He came to the bro- boy, blah, 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 blah. then take, and then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Moving on. So he went to sleep. That's good. All at once, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, your prayers have been answered. I'm here to kill you. Aren't you glad he doesn't always answer our prayers? In the words of the prophet Garth Brooks, thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> and I love it. He goes, get up and eat. Now, listen, when you've slept, you need to get up. When you've slept, you need to get up. Anybody here? Nothing good happens from that place. Get up and do what? Eat. Huh. Anybody here been hangry? <laughs> hey, no poning and poking. <laughs> People are like, he's talking about you. It's time for repentance. <laughs> you can just run to the altar. I'll carry you. <laughs> Get up and eat. Listen, anybody here tried to? problem you didn't have because it, you didn't have a problem because you were just hungry? I think we have a really big problem here. Why don't you go take a nap? Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. I am so mad at you because you, I don't know what you did, but you did it. And you know what you did. Have a cookie. Listen, sometimes we're trying to resolve problems that don't exist. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. And you can just see the angel that drew that. Listen, I'm an angel. I don't cook. <laughs> this, is how, this is just how they did it. He's there. He's cooking. He's like, man, seriously, this thing bad? All right. So there they go. They would cook on hot coals, and he's just sitting there. 
God wakes him up with the smell of hot bread. You know how good that is? Listen, listen, we may be weak, pathetic, and pathetic, but God is gracious and loving and tender and kind, even in our stupidity. He's there and he meets him. He goes, Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. He's on probation for prayer. I mean, go. No, no. Yeah, he's like, finally, you're here. Stick some bread in his mouth. Wait, I got an idea. Stick some more bread in. Right? And there he goes, and he's then, and then he had a jar of water. Eat, drink, sleep, and be merry. And then what did he do? He lay down again. Again, one of the things is you can't resolve issues when we're not in touch with the issues. When we're more aware of our bodies and our emotions, we can't be aware of Jesus. He got up. So the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Who's who's my second rounders? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, (laughs) and God's like, it's all right. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is good. You don't get disqualified. He still pursues us and he loves us. So what did he do? Get up and drink because the journey is too much for you. He knows our weakness. He knows when we're beyond our capacity. So strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights through the desert? That must have been a good meal. God knows what you're about to face, and he strengthens you beforehand. I I love something uh, Bill Johnson said. Uh, It's not biblical, but I haven't proven it wrong. I've actually proven it right a lot. Whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're caught blindsided, you don't know what to do, you're freaked out, it feels like everything's gone wrong, look back, and God almost certainly gave you a word in the last month that prepared you for this. Strengthened by that food, he traveled until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb's another name for Sinai, where Moses met him. We don't know exactly where, where it is. I like to think it's the dot on the right. Other people like the dot on the left. They both look dotty to me. But he made his way through the most forbidding desert to get there. Why did he go to the mountain of God? Sometimes when you've lost God, all you know to do is to return to the place you last found him. Where was Elijah's call? Where was he supposed to be in Israel? God is gracious and kind to us even when we run the opposite direction from the calling on our lives. I ran the opposite direction probably for eight years. Better than you guys. And his grace is sufficient. God meets him there. What happens there? He went into a cave and spent the night. He's he's learning. He's learning, right? So if this is fascinating. This is, this is the one on the, uh, from the dot on the right. There's, that's what the cave, there's a cave there. It's about 20 feet deep. And uh, so there he is. God's, God has a place for him there. And what happens in that cave? Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. Finally, finally we can get some answers. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now I have a question. How all-knowing is God? 
Does God really have any questions? No. When God asks us a question, who, what is he trying to do? Get our attention, help us to understand what we don't know. Remember the first question in the Bible? Where are you, Adam? Right here. And I promise you, you've been practicing this for 40 days. When I get a hold of God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Here we put in parentheses, where were you? I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Is it working? The Lord said, have you ever noticed God never answers you directly? (laughs) If you get a direct answer from God, I give you permission to be a little leery. (laughs) Because he's usually not talking about what we're talking about. True? Go out and stay. So what does he do? Go out. Leave the place you've been hiding and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, guys, on this mountain, God passed by once already. Where's my, where's my gold star, people? Who, what happened? Moses. Oh, what upgrade time. He's going to get the Moses treatment. He's going to get the Moses moment. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing. Do you guys remember, this is back in Exodus 33, what happened when, the God, when God passed in front of, of Moses? What did it say? All my goodness. Did you hear any goodness in that last statement? There's nothing good. Nothing good. Sometimes the best refresh to us is a revelation of his goodness. Because as long as we can only see darkness... As long as we can only see bad, as long as we, I'm the only one. Go out and stand on the mountain and I'll pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was, well, that's odd. Okay, all right, so where's my people? When things get bad, you look for a powerful encounter with God. No, I'm just gonna be real. I had, we were we lived in Russia for seven years. I was completely gripped in the fear of that country. I didn't know what to do, and so I went to a conference and I all but wrapped myself in foil. You know, grabbed some golf clubs, <laughs> wave them, and I'm just like, God, I need you. <laughs> I want to tell you this: God can work in the midst of powerful encounters, but powerful encounters are not the answer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ out there trying to get in. This is really important because we, I, you can ask Masha, I, I'm, I, I go places, I ride all the rides. I, I enjoy every kind of possible encounter there is. But I've learned my hope is not in them. My hope is in the Lord. And so, but he's been, whoa, finally, the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. 
Anybody here been shook up? The great thing about earthquakes is it lays bare everything that is. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Do you think Elijah's wanting a big answer? Anybody here, you're in a really bad place and you want a big answer? Like now? Like country-sized? And the earthquake came after it came a fire. Now this is, remember last time he called down fire. This is good. I'm in some familiar territory. But the Lord was not. Sometimes God will confront us in the very places where we put our trust and reveal their bankruptcy. Anybody here? If I could just talk to this person, everything would be okay. If just this would happen. If just this, and it happens in nothing good. It, does, it still doesn't bring the breakthrough. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. What? I went 40 days through the death. I, I, uh, that conference I went to where I pretty much wrapped myself in foil. I was so mad. Anybody here been mad at God? Where are my people? Good, good. Don't worry, there's time. And I'm standing there, and I mean, they're doing worship, and I'm like, I'm like, I need you, God. I don't need good feelings. I'll take good feelings, but I need you. Come on, zap me. Do something. I'm sure I was terrifying. I was literally, I was on the front row all the way to the left. I'm sure people, the speakers there were like, please don't look over there. Anyway, I'm like, I mean, I stood through all the worship. I don't know if I stood during the speaking. I hope I didn't. Anyway, I probably, I've been in a bad way. Anybody been in a bad way? Okay, all right. So I'm sitting there and I got done and I, I had all these experiences, but I didn't have what I came for. Oh, yeah, well, that was also where we were going to go. God was leading us out of Russia. We didn't know where we were going to go. And I was just like, Jesus, I need answers. I need direction. I need... And guess what happened? I didn't... Nothing happened. On the way home, uh, I stopped. We were in a, in a, at a guy's house in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, the capital there. It was 11 o'clock at night. It was late, and he made me dinner, because that's what you do. And we sat there, and he said, Peter, will you pray for us? And I said, sure. I said, thank you, Lord. Anybody been at the point where you can't figure out what to thank God for? And I said, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Bam! He and I are laid out on the floor, laughing our heads off for an hour, at which point pastor of the church, I don't know why he came over at midnight, came over at midnight to give him the keys to the van to drive the next day, found us lying on the floor, couldn't make heads or tails out of left. <laughs> For three months, I realized every time I came out of God's presence, I became dumb. Why? Because I became smart. Because I would come out and I begin to partner with smartness and wisdom and fear. Because I was illegal in Russia. In a lot of ways. <laughs> um, 
And I, for three months, I realized the only way I was going to stay sane was to stay in God's presence. It was like that gentle whisper. The good news is in Russia, um, they're okay with public drunkenness, but also they're okay with, uh, I figured out that people, if you just look sick to your stomach, you're okay. So I would just sit, literally just sit there and go. (laughs) Sometimes it got too much and I'd I'd be riding the bus somewhere and I'd just get off the bus. And I'd walk just down the street and people like, oh, there, there, he's hung over. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, it was, but, but what I would say is, is that was three months of a gentle whisper that transformed my life, purified my heart. I wanted the answers where we were going to live. And this is how much revelation I got. Anybody gotten, you, you're like, Jesus, I need revelation. I need any revelation, revelation. Fine, I'll decide. Um, and uh, I decided we were moving to Ukraine because that's a wise idea because it was just across the border. We could still come back to Russia and we could move all of our stuff there. Uh, thankfully, a little later, I actually did hear God. It did not go back to what eventually became a war zone, strangely enough, with a new child and I won't say old wife. But <laughs> <laughs> I want to... <laughs> I got a gentle whisper there. (laughs) I heard the voice of the Lord. When Elijah heard it, though, and here's the thing. Do you have the ability to discern the whisper of the Lord? Because if you do, it will shatter you to your core. It will rip the mountain, the, the roots of the mountain bare. Because that whisper says, maybe you've had it all. That's a scary thing to hear. Anybody ever heard that? It's a scary thing to admit, maybe I had it all wrong. And he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood out at the mouth of the cave. Now, didn't God ask him to come out of the cave already? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I would get out of the cave if there's an earthquake. Anybody with me? He's still in the cave. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Little obedience is way big, better than big sacrifice. And he went out. Is then a voice to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Anybody having flashbacks? Why did God ask him that twice? Make sure he heard it. He didn't think he listened the first time. Yep. And his reply was so much better than the first time. I have been very zealous. I can't read in this light. Uh, for the Lord God Almighty. Again, that's you. And I, the Israelites, have rejected your covenant toward death. Your altars have put your promise to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left there trying to kill me too. Here's the thing. Anybody had a week as bad as Elijah? Then you, I have good news. If you hadn't had 400 of your friends killed. I have good news for you. If you haven't been a murderer, if you haven't been in the last week, because God's speaking to someone at this point. What does God say to him? I hear all of your concerns and I will address them in order. The Lord said to him, what? Go back. Go back. Go back where? Go back to who he was called to be. 
David became dumb when, he, when the kings went out to war and he stayed home. When you and I step out of the lane of our calling and our authority and grace, we step into stupid and we end up dumb. Stay, come back to your lane. So here's my question. What's your lane? What's the lane of your calling? Each of us has, has a unique calling. Anybody here been dragged out of your lane by somebody else? You should care about this right now. Go back the way you came. And go where? To the desert of Damascus. Desert, good, wrong desert. <laughs> go to the desert of Damascus. What am I going to do there? When you get there. Anoint who? Haziel, king of Aram. Who are the Aram? Aramites are the country that has been beating up on Israel, his country, as long as he's been alive. You want me to what? They kill more babies than we do. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Jehu was a general. He's like, another Israelite? Ah! Didn't I tell you I'm the only one? And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abu Meholah, right in the middle of Israel, to succeed you as prophet. <laughs> You're out of here. <laughs> if you want there to be any remnant of what you did, this is what you need to do. Well, first thing he said is don't be alone. Don't be alone. Don't text after 3 a.m. That was a word of knowledge. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here, you're dumbest at your, when you're most alone? All of us? I become smarter. No. He, he says, bring somebody and anoint. So what does he do? What does Elijah, Elijah do? He was given a one, two, three. Oh, he says, Jehu will put to death any who escaped from the sword. What do you think Elijah's saying right now? Oh, goody. Finally, some good killing. Why? Because that's what he has interpreted as God's will. Why? Is God's heart for Israel to return to the Lord? Yes. He just wants justice. Justice. God's justice is to return a thing to its originally intended design. Our justice is to make somebody pay. Jehu will put to death any who escape from the sword of Hazael. Why is God saying this? My humble opinion is God can't rise above the level we're willing to go. God can't move through us above the level we're willing to go. If we're only willing to partner with that, that's as far as it can go. Because as I said, that form of judgment is a last ditch effort to save lives. And we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll kill any who escape from the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape from the sword of Jehu. Guys, you want to know a secret? Do you know how many people Elisha killed? You're not doomed to repeat the sins of your fathers. He was actually twice the man, many times the man that Elijah was. Because he didn't repeat the mistakes of Elisha. Elijah. Elisha went Time and time again, when, when Elijah did one thing, Elisha either did it way better or totally different. You're not required to repeat the sins of your fathers. Yet, 
I love this. So he's like, I hear you, you, you. but this is the only level of, of ministry that Elijah is willing to partner with. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. What is he talking about? All whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is he saying? How many does Elijah see? God goes, there's a few more than one. No, because it's all about me. When it's all about you or me, we're in serious trouble. God is not too weak to save. He has other options than you and me. We're not the only one. Whenever you feel like you're the one, you know, Masha had, had this great uh, conversation with God on a regular basis, and then I stole it. And God would say, you know, the job of Savior of the world's already been taken. Whenever you and I are tempted to play savior or judge or executioner, please know, that's a sign that we've stepped out of grace because we're not his only option. And a lot of times the enemy tricks us into acting because we think we're the only one. Finally, verse 19, so he went and did number three first. <laughs> Why did he do number three first? Maybe closest. I think is huh? He was, done. he was done. He was done. Tag, you're it. <laughs> you know, the funny thing, I'd never realized. I was like, did he ever do the other two? No. He didn't. Elijah, Elisha, 10 years after Elijah had died, 16 or 17 years after this moment, Elisha finished what he started. Elijah only makes one more appearance before he goes out in a blaze of glory. His cab comes by and picks him up. <laughs> he only does one more thing. You guys remember what happened? The, the king wanted to know if he should go to war. Now, when kings go to war, what happens? The poor suffer. God's heart is always for the poor. And he said, but if I go, will it increase our safety? Will it be better? Or do, should I just stay home? And he sent men to, to Elijah. And he goes, not coming. So he sends 50 men. What does Elijah do? The one thing he's good at. Calls down fire. <laughs> Zaps them, 50 of them. So he sends another 50. Find the last guy's like, God, stop it, please. And God goes, just go with him for heaven's sake. A hundred people died because he didn't understand the heart of the father. Those guys, did those hundred have to die? Because God was like, I was telling you to go. I didn't want to. See, when you and I walk in our gifting but we walk in it with a wrong spirit. Jesus said this to, remember what happened when John and James wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans? Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you are of. When we walk in our gifting, but not according to the spirit of God, it may come with power, but that doesn't prove it's God. And that's the last we see of Elijah. Because Elijah had very rigid expectations and he could not respond 
to the path that God was making for him to go forward. But the good news is Elisha did. The bad news is Israel never turned back to God. Jehu, the guy that got anointed, sort of turned back, but not really. What's the so so let me ask you a couple questions. One, what's yours in my lane? What's our lane? What are we supposed to be about? What are you and I called to be doing? Making disciples in the areas of our influence. I, I'll end with this, because this is where my heart breaks. Early 1970s, Jesus People Movement. People were on fire for God. Millions came to know the Lord. And then rapture theology came into play. Late great planet Earth said that the world would not be around before by the end of the 1980s. The late great planet Earth was one of the greatest, best-selling books, did a, a television special with Orson Welles. It was everywhere. And what happened is, and a whole generation said, well, if it's all going to go, what's the point? They didn't make jobs. They didn't, get, they didn't uh, get build businesses. They didn't get married, didn't have kids a lot of times. They checked out. And what happened when they woke up in the 1980s? <laughs> what happened? When their expectation froze. I, I've said this before. I grew up in, with, in a backwater where these people ha hovered. <laughs> and they were disappointed. Some of them just got numb and they quit believing for anything anymore. Some went cuckoo for co Cocoa Puffs and came up with really weird theology <laughs> to justify. Well, it wasn't the 80s, it was the 90s. I'm sorry, the 2000s. I, I'm so sorry, the 2010s. But what do we do when our expectation, we find that it is broken? First thing we do is we recognize it's broken. And we say, God, forgive me for putting my hope in something that was obviously not you because he's trustworthy, True. So God, I was trusting in something that wasn't you. So God, now I'm ready to receive your mind of how to make disciples and to walk in authority where you are. Because do you, I, I'm going to say this. Do you know why? You know when this election was sown? In the 1970s, when a whole generation went into the universities and became PhDs and, and fostered an entire generation. And another generation checked out. But I've got good news. He's playing a very long game. He's been, last days have been going on for 2,000 years. He's not freaked out. If he wasn't freaked out when Hitler was on the planet, he's doing okay now. But what I want to say is this. I want to say this. What's your lane? Where's the grace? And God, I repent. I want to see things from your perspective. Guide me. Show me the way. Show me the way back to a place of childlike trust and the ability for your love and life to pour through me. All right, if we can have the worship team come up. I really appreciate all of you all who've uh, been praying. Uh, I, I hope I did okay today. Uh, um, I really, my heart was, my heart's been so heavy because I've seen so many people hurting, so many people broken. I, I ran into a friend of mine. Um, 
at the uh, at the park the other day, and he said, "I said, how you doing?" He said, "I'm not doing. I'm doing great." Okay, no, I'm not. He said, um, "Because I've basically said, in the name of God, all these things that haven't actually happened." Now you could fudge it and say, "Well, it didn't quite happen the way, but it sort of did." You know, no. He was honest. It didn't happen the way I said. And now I've made God look like an idiot. He said, what do I do? I said, don't beat yourself up, first of all. But just repent. Just say sorry. You know, you were trying to love and you screwed up. It's okay. It's okay. But what the world can't handle is when we stand and go, this, the emperor isn't naked. When the emperor's naked. And let's just, let's move forward in the authority and grace that we've been given. Let's stand. Father, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. You are good and you are full of love and you're not afraid. You're doing well, but you're calling us into the harvest fields today to know, to allow the world to have an encounter with a God who is on the throne, who is full of love and desires that none would perish. We love you, Lord. In your beautiful name, amen.